right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You know, we got past that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I was not made aware of that open, and I, I heard it start to talk. I was like, this sounds different. And that's why. Congratulations, finally, on the open. With Adam Drovetta, Derek Johnson. This to repeat what they say in the open. Yeah! <laughs> It is uh, Super Bowl week, and today is Media Day. It's weird. Usually on Media Day, there's like some weird story or like some weird question or yeah, some something idiot cute. dressed like a moron yeah. asking like, "What kind of stuff yeah. do you like? What do you dip your corn dog in?" Yeah. And honestly, I'm all for that stuff. I I need less of like stuff that's going to give me coach speak like what do you think we've of heard the other all team? year how they answer sports exactly questions. exactly like no what? one's the week of the super bowl no one's going to surprise anybody going well the rams suck yeah, man. exactly exactly like if you ask joe burrow what do you think about the rams defense oh, they're terrible yeah or he's not going to be like you know i think we can really pick on their nickel back they've got a good defensive i've line, actually but- hired a sniper to take yeah, care right. of aaron donald so <laughs> No, he's just going to be like, you know, they're really good. They're really talented. We've heard it all. So I'm fine with it. I just wish we had that. The only thing that I saw was somebody asked Joe Burrow um, who his celebrity crush was. But he passed. He didn't answer it. Joe Burrow. You think it's somebody like embarrassing? Is that why he passed? I don't know. Like Rosie O'Donnell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like somebody. Yeah, Barbara Streisand. (laughs) Or it's yeah, or it's one of those things where like he grew up watching old movies, <laughs> and he didn't realize that they were old. And he's like just found out a day ago Marilyn Monroe's dead. Yeah, right. Well, it was Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> but I had no idea that her movies were from way back then. <laughs> what could you imagine if he was playing the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl and he answered and he was like Giselle? <laughs> yeah. That'd be so good for headlines. That would be yeah. See, that's a, but that's something you want. That'd be funny. Yeah, exactly. That I want like. I so I don't know. Maybe we'll see something come across of of some. Other I'll say story, this kind of good. I don't know if this was his motive, but good on Joe Burrow because the last thing, because the way paparazzi work is whoever he picks, you know, my celebrity crush, celebrity crush is such and such. Then paparazzi are going to be bothering such and such, going, "Oh, Joe Burrow just said you're a celebrity crush. What do you think of that?" And no, nobody needs that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not one that we need. But I I do wish there was. You know, I remember the one year too. They had the kid ask the question. Do you remember this big controversy? They had the kid ask like a question to Tom Brady and gave a really good answer. Was it the one about who's your your hero? Yeah, yeah. And he said he kind of got welled up because he talked. He got a little emotional yeah. talking about his, his dad. His great answer. Yeah, he good said my hero is my dad. But there were some people where there was like a blowback of like this is ridiculous. There's all these hardworking journalists trying to ask questions and you give this. And it's like oh my gosh. Yeah, no, shut up. That's basically don't even take yourself that seriously. It, it and you're not getting anything out of Tom Brady. Exactly. What on earth did yeah. you think you were going to get? <laughs> they took away the real scoop that you had. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, get over it. It's it, the whole thing is a circus. 
It really is. Football Super Bowl media day is a circus. Yep. So Super Bowl this Sunday, uh, maybe later this week, we'll do a ranking of best appetizers, worst appetizers to have at the yeah. Super Bowl. Um, KU takes down Baylor on Saturday. Absolutely crushes Baylor, eighty-three to fifty-nine. It was basically, it was the inverse of the Kentucky game and more. I mean, because they won by more. But like, yeah, that was eighteen. This game was what twenty-four. I would just like to say it is already. It's it's been a week, and I already feel like I overreacted to the Kentucky <laughs> game. It's been one week. I said after the Kentucky game, I came in on Monday and said, you know, this team can still accomplish great things. This team, you know, they still could make a Final Four. Let's try. It's time to start thinking but of the expectations. Yeah, we're changing the, the expectations. 16. Exactly. And if they make the Final Four, it'll be the cherry on top. Well, I'm back here today. I guess we say expectations are back, baby. They better go to New Orleans. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I and I and I know and I I know that you're being sarcastic but i i think what we learned is you're never you're never as as low as your worst day and you're never as high as your best day i yeah. think i think ku showed over the course of a week how bad it can be for them and how good it can be for them and um and we're just and, and right now we're sitting here with the most recent of those is how bad how, how i mean how good they can be and that's exactly what we're sitting here with today and it feels good it does to see them actually because we've seen other KU teams before where it feels like man they can never really reach that ceiling but it feels like if they ever did come together it'd be awesome and we'll always get to see it and you did on Saturday I've I've compared this team to the 2012 team before in that you've got one national player of the year candidate now in 2012 I think Thomas Robinson was solidly the second option. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was ever going to catch Anthony Davis, but I don't think anybody was ever going to catch him for second. I do think Ochai can still be like third or fourth, but he's still a top five National Player of the Year candidate. Um, you've got that surrounded by, I think, probably more talent than 2012, but still not a heap of talent. Um, and, of course, a different position, Ochai versus Thomas Robinson. And funnily enough, that team ceiling came again, came in uh, a blowout victory, really a blowout victory against Baylor. Well, I guess blowout's hard to say. It was 92 to 78, so it wasn't a blowout, but a very comfortable win against Baylor at home. And that the difference is that team actually beat Baylor very comfortably in Waco. And, and I will we'll see. I, 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 I'm not even sure if Kay will be favored in Waco this year. But the point is, 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 you know, you have games every year, I think for teams that make the Final Four and even teams that don't, you do have games every year where you watch and you go, okay, this this they put on that performance, they, they're, they're a real contender. And that's what we saw Saturday. Well, I think, and, and that was to me the first time, they've had some impressive wins since the beginning of the season, but Saturday was the first game that I've seen them play that had made me go, yes, this is a real mm -hmm. team, a real contender and it's the first time I've seen them play a game like that since they beat Michigan State. Yeah, and that one, like we talked about last week, you could and look, Texas, easily say it's the first game of the year, right? Yeah, and Texas Tech is a top 10 now. Texas Tech is into the top 10. So you can count Tech as a top 10 win, um, but that was in double overtime. I mean, and, and look, it was still an impressive win, don't get me wrong, but this is a top 10 win, absolute throttling, up 16 and it wasn't like, okay, you're up 16, you take your foot off the gas, Baylor gets back to within, 
you know, seven and you're sweating it a little bit and then you pull away and win by 11. No. I mean, pillar to post. Baylor got up two to nothing and that's it. And they were done. It was, yeah. it was what, 27 to 11, I think, at one point. I think that I think the biggest lead at one, at, early on in the first 10 minutes was 16, and then that's it. You're, you, they just ran away with it. They out they they won the first half by 18 and still outscored them in the second half. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Night and day, the turnaround from last Saturday to this Saturday, what we saw. And, and like you said, it, it also means in the same way that, you know, because I did probably overreact after that Kentucky game. Maybe I shouldn't overreact to the Baylor game and just sit here and say that, okay, now this team is like this clear favorite. It's just like you said, we've seen them at their low. We've seen them at their high now. But at the very least, we know this team's ceiling is that. Yep. And that has to give you a lot of of confidence moving forward. And um, the more that they string games along too, where Joe Yesifu is part of the rotation— I think it becomes more and more interesting to me the idea of when you've unlocked a team that has the ability to play two guards for 15 to 20 minutes through the game, how impactful is it for this team? And and clearly it's a small sample right now, but as the sample grows and they continue to have strong performances, if they do it, you know, you win tonight against Texas, then all of a sudden we're going to be talking about how, you know, this is a, a different team. Because it's like last year's team... There wasn't like a tangible thing you could point to and say this player broke out and that's why they they were so good in the month of February and early March. Like that's yeah. why they won whatever it was, like 9 of 10 or something. It really just kind of everybody it, put it together. Exactly. And they just like... You could say McCormick. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess you could say McCormick. Um, And you could, you know, it, it was the defense. Like I think in the month of February alone, they were the number one rated defense on Ken Palm for just that month. So like they did certain things differently on defense. But... With this team, in the same way that you could with, I think, like the 2015-16 team, if this does lead to a run, you'll be able to point back the same way we said, yeah, that team once Landon Lucas got into the starting lineup, they were a different team, they won the 16 or 17 straight or whatever. If they continue to roll like this, then we're going to point back and be like, yeah, I know they lost to Kentucky like that, and I know they had the weird loss to Dayton, but ever since Joe Yesfu was a part of the rotation and playing big minutes for this team— they're a different team. The 15-16 team lost uh, at, in overtime to Indiana early in the season. Um, they got shredded. Was it in Morgantown or in Stillwater? Where they I think got, that was the 16-17 team with Josh Jackson. No, no, no. The, the, the 15-16 team. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But they, they, there was a blowout in the 15-16 team. I mean, they got they, blown out they on lost, the road against Oklahoma State. That's who I'm thinking yeah. of. It was in Stillwater. Okay. Um, you're right. You're right. I, I, the, the early loss for KU in 15-16 was Michigan State. Yeah. They, they blew a lead against mm-hmm. Michigan State in the Champions Classic. So, okay, you had a you had a conference blowout, a January blowout in Stillwater. Um, and I think at one point they lost three of five. I think they lost West I think they lost in Morgantown. I think they lost. Was that the home loss to Iowa State or the one in Ames? I think it was in Ames because KU had a lead at halftime yeah, and, 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 lo- and blew their lead at home halftime. next year. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they, so you had a, a you know a big big blowout loss to Oklahoma State against um, uh, or in Stillwater, and that was part of a stretch where you went two and three in five games, and then you really turned it on. And similar to Landon Lucas, Joe Yesfu doesn't have to put up incredible numbers in the stat sheet. 
to be a reason that they turn things around. Like he, he you know, he can show up and, and, you know, you don't need him to go just like you didn't need Lane and Lucas to score, you know, 18 and pull down 12 rebounds, but you needed him to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could say the same thing about Joe Yesifu. He doesn't need to put up Dewan Harris numbers, but him being there is huge. Do you feel, how much do you think last, you know, the, Missing Ochai, and, and maybe we can only answer this question with time, but, I mean, there's, Saturday was more evidence that playing without Ochai was, was a big deal on yeah. Tuesday, right? Yeah, Needing yeah. to come together, that was a big deal. Yes, it was. Because um, even it, with, or with Dave McCormick only having 9-8 and eight on Saturday, you can say, okay, but Ochai came back and kind of took his product different position, but took his production away. And so, but you had basically that same team that showed out in Ames plus a player of the year candidate. Yeah, you really did. And and it felt like you had those, like, that's always the question. When you have a guy like that come back to that magnitude, are the other guys going to, you know, fall back a little bit? Are they going to relax? Yeah. And, they and what you saw so Saturday much. is that they continued to step up and you added Ochai back. And that, that, I mean, combined with the fact that, you know, obviously with Baylor, they were missing LJ Cryer, who... Um, the team leader in scoring, he's a really good three point shooter like that. That changes uh, the the you know the way the game is um, played for KU defensively and, and what they can do from a structure standpoint and, and game planning and stuff. I'm not saying it would have changed the result because KU won by so much. That yeah, that's not really in, in question. I'm just saying um, when you look at that and you look at the way Baylor played, we had these questions coming in about. How would KU handle the rebounding? Because Baylor's elite at that. And how would KU handle the pressure of Baylor that forces turnovers? Well, by having Joe Yesfu in there and having Dewan Harris and having good games. I mean, Joe Yesfu, to your point of like the Landon Lucas stuff, he had three points. That's it. He went one of three shooting on three points in 18 minutes. It wasn't like crazy stat sheet, but he just having that other presence out there to calm down the offense and avoid turnovers, that is key. And that's the big thing to me. I know Jesse Newell wrote a, a good piece about this, and we'll, we'll talk about it Wednesday, that Baylor basically crashes the offensive glass, and if they get the offensive rebound, they're probably going to get a stick back out of it. But if you can get the rebound, and you're a good transition team like Kansas is, yeah, it's going to lead to you having numbers. And it's not a, and it's not a coincidence that, that was one of Christian Brown's best scoring games. Yes, and so exa- exactly. He's been so good in transition this year. And so for KU... It really is like this This all just comes back to those two positions. Can you play a little bit of two guards? Doesn't have to be the entirety of the time. Can you play for 15, 20 minutes a game to help with the turnover numbers? And can you get good production out of the five-man spot? And that has been so inconsistent for KU this year. And on Saturday, David McCormick is one of six. But like you said, he's still at nine and eight. I mean, if, if that's an off game for David McCormick, and that is great. What did Mitch, Mitch Lightfoot, Lightfoot was great? What did he have? Um, I think he had eight points and, I don't know, maybe six rebounds. So or you're, you're, like that. you're getting close to that 20 and 12 or 20 and 13 that Self talked about. Yeah. That puts you at 17, and they would have they would have hit the mark in rebounds and came about three points shy um, in points when he asked for 20. So that, uh, you know, that's. Uh, you, you just. You saw Saturday exactly what KU is capable of hmm. at their peak. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, I think you saw them. I don't think that they were at their lowest. I think against Kentucky they probably played a C- and Kentucky played an A game. Now I think Kentucky matchup-wise probably was was related to KU playing um, a C- game because their length and their athleticism really 
really took KU for a ride. But um, I I think you know you play that game again and you add Joe Yesifu. I I don't think KU loses by eighteen. They may still lose because Kentucky's a national type. My probably my favorite to win the national title right now. Um, but I, I think it looks different. If you if you're a good offensive team, the best thing for your opponents to do against you is to rebound the ball offensively and to force turnovers because that takes your possessions away and gives more possessions to them. And not doing that, not allowing to Baylor to do that on Saturday led to a 24 point win for KU. Mm-hmm. That was as good of a performance as as you can see. For KU this season, now the question becomes how consistent can you be with it? When was their last game that that good? I mean, you could say the West Vir- the second half specifically of the West Virginia game at home, but West Virginia In is this year? Know, they're not very yeah. Yeah, but I don't think they're, they're not very good. good this year, right? I would go back to twenty eighteen and the Big Twelve title game against West Virginia. That team was yeah, that team was firing on all cylinders at that point. Um and you didn't even have Udoka Azubuki then. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe, I don't know. The game last year against West Virginia, again, the second half, where you just boat raced him at home. But again, that West Virginia Wait, team was... Wait, was, was Doak? Oh, he was out for the first and the first two games of the tournament that year, wasn't he? I think the whole Big 12 tournament, I thought. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. That's right. I don't think he came back to, like, the Clemson game. Yeah, I don't know. That was, that was an impressive the performance. Game, regardless. There was, was, yeah. Well, the result now is that you do have a, a nice little lead in the Big 12. If Baylor wins that game, both teams would have two losses in conference play, and they would have the win on the road against you. Now, everybody else in the conference has three or more losses. Baylor and Tech has three. Texas and and some other teams have four or more. And you're done with Tech. Exactly. And they're done with Tech. They still have the the road visit to Waco. Um, You know, we kind of talked this whole time, I think the beginning of conference play, I think I was more... At that I thought 13 and 5 could honestly get a share of it. I think you were at 14 and 4. And, and then to be clear, I feel the, the way, and I'm going to have to change things because mm-hmm. I think the way I felt, the reason I felt that way was because I didn't think Baylor would be as bad as 13 and 5. No, we didn't. I mean, they've gone 4 and 4 in the last day. There's no way that either one of us would have thought that Baylor would have lost at home to Oklahoma State, right? So um, now that. We're here. KU is halfway through Big 12 play. Yep. All the other teams are through 10 games, I believe, except TCU. And it's a disaster if they don't go 16-2, and two, which would be just like 8-1 and one in the second half, just like <laughs> their first half. That would be incredible if of all the years in the Big 12, this team that we've had questions about <laughs> goes 16-2. Two. Two. That would be the most KU-Bill South thing be, ever, right? That would be an amazing year. But what do you put the number at? Is it 14-4? and four? Oh, 14, 14, four 14 outright. wins this thing outright, yeah. There's 13-5. and five have a chance at winning it outright. I think it does. Who does Baylor still have left? Baylor and Tech, do they still have to play each other twice? Well, I mean, Ken Palm has Baylor at 12-6 and six now in Big 12 play. It has Tech at 13-5 and because, yes, they still do play in Lubbock. So, Did Tech already beat him in Waco? Yeah. So you're really more looking at Tech. 13-5 and five outright, maybe. Um, but I think 13 and five, you at least get a share. 13 right? and five gets you a share, 100. percent Which means all KU would have to do from here is go five and four, and that's not to the win goal. the Big 12. Because if KU no. goes five and four, you're going to feel like even though they won the Big 12, you're going to feel like they're limping. I think, to the it, line. Uh, yeah, I think I think 14 and four, you, you're you're thinking about a one seed. I think 13 and five, you're probably backing that up. Yeah, but I think 14 and four, you're a one seed in the turn in the NCAA tournament. I think I agree with you. 
Um, but that win basically gave you a little margin for error now. You might give it right back tonight against Texas. Oh, would it be giving it back? Because, I mean, Austin's a hard— I think just the margin for error oh, part okay, of it. Yeah. Not, not that you would give up the edge for the conference yeah. race. I think just in terms of, like, right now you probably have, like, one freebie loss, right? Yeah, we, and, and this we'll bring up this, I'm sure, later in the show, but, it, but we've talked about it a lot. Um, that that stretch of, of four, five or six— uh, you know, if you want to count the K State game, that would make it six. If if not, it'd be five. Um, we thought, all right, if they can go four and two or three and two, they've already accomplished that. Um, and I think the most important thing is uh, going into that stretch, we would have picked Tech at home and Baylor at home as the two. Like, if we could have guaranteed wins, we would want those two. Hundred percent. And so, yeah, I, I think right now you're coming away tonight, going, man, a win tonight would be. I think a win tonight is puts them higher than a loss drops them lower. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, I would agree with that. I like, think they have a lot more to gain than yeah. to lose here. I 100% agree, and that is all because you not just beat Baylor on Saturday, but you reestablished yourself that, hey, don't forget about us when we're talking about Final Four teams and some of the best teams in the country. They might not be at the top of that list because the Kentucky game still did happen. They might not even be in the short list of the top three or top five. But this team showed on Saturday, even when they're playing one of the best teams in the country, they can look like that. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. It is your Monday time for Case of the Mondays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Again, we've got the KU game tonight against Texas. Trying to get a little Jared Casey magic in the building down in Austin. But as we get to our case of the Mondays, maybe some stories that uh, we otherwise wouldn't really get to on your Monday. First up, the Olympics. Uh, it actually started, I think, last Tuesday or Wednesday. But like the opening ceremonies Friday. were last Friday, and then it continued on into the weekend. Did you watch any at all? A lot. Uh, what was your level of watching of the Olympics? I watched the a lot of the Olympics. You did. Okay. I probably watched between the opening ceremonies and the events themselves i bet i watched 10 hours 12 wow. hours of olympic coverage just this weekend i after i cover it cuz for those people who are listening or those who aren't listening um the uh i so i did the the girls game lawrence high versus um Shawnee mission northwest friday night then derek took over for me and did the boys game i went to a friend's house to watch the opening ceremonies cuz we both love the olympics so I was at her house. It was me, her, and her husband. Watched the some opening ceremonies begin to end, beginning to end, and then yeah, between that and all the events, I'll bet I put in twelve hours worth of Olympic watching this weekend. I 
love the Olympics. And I don't pretend to care anything about these sports outside of the Olympics. But I love the Olympics. So I, I normally like the – I love the Summer Olympics. I'm hit or miss depending on the sport in the winter. There was twice where I was watching, like, college basketball and the game maybe got out of hand or I just was curious and flipping through the channels. And I, I landed on the Olympics for a few minutes. But both times that happened to me, it was, like, sports I wasn't interested in. It was, like – Cross-country skiing, which is, I think, super boring. It looks tough, you know? though, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. No, I, very hard. Um, very good athletes for doing that. Have to have great endurance and everything. It's just, you know, it's like what about the marathon. What about the bi- I don't want to watch a marathon. What about it's, the biathlon? You know? Actually, the the, mar- the the women's marathon in the la- in the Summer Olympics last summer was a blast because a woman from the U.S. medaled for the first time in, in a long time. I just can't get into it. It's like, it's too it long, long of an event. Thing, like, I'll yeah. watch the last, like, five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm cool with that. Um. But yeah, I, I didn't watch much. But I will say, there's a bananas curling match between Italy and Canada. Okay, I want to hear about that in a second. Um, hockey is one that I love, and I have already started to plan. So my wife likes hockey as well, but she also um, is not like as big of a sports fan as me. I think U.S. plays Canada at like 11 p.m. this upcoming Saturday. Okay, and I am already like pumped about it. I, I'm, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm super excited to watch this game. And she's like, but it's at 11 p.m. I'm like, no, but I you went, don't understand. I was at this your house. Canada. I mean, I know she's a bigger KU fan um, than she is of any other sport, but I was at your house for those games in North Korea at like 10, 15, 10, 30 at night. Or South Korea, I beg your pardon. They didn't play North Korea. Well, but remember the, now, the, the World University games? It's tired earlier. I guess I don't know. so. I think she all, she was like, yeah, but I want to sleep in so we can, you know, be ready for the Super Bowl tomorrow. And I'm like, no, I, I almost, you know, you I've sleep more in anyway. Super Bowls at like five thirty. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. Okay, well, tell me about this curling match. Uh, so, um, first off, in 2010, U.S. Canada played a couple really fun yes, games. Yes, they did. Um, so. Okay, it was between Italy and Canada. This is mixed doubles curling, which mixed doubles curling is just like mixed doubles tennis in that one competitor is a man and one competitor is a woman. Canada was one of the... Actually, I think they won gold in this event last time, and they were by far the favorite this time. And I don't pretend to know a ton about curling, um, but Italy... They had this incredible match. It went to... They call their... If you think the term is end... But if you if you think of it in terms of baseball, it's like an inning. So okay. an, an end is basically the equivalent. Curling is basically the equivalent of, of, of an inning in baseball. And it it the scoring came to such that Canada needed a comeback to force an extra end, which they did. And then it came to Canada had one last shot. Italy was set up perfectly. Canada had this beautiful, beautiful shot. And it was it was it was curling in perfectly. They were they were sweeping perfectly. It skated just by. It got to the point, Derek, where the stone about half was on the red circle and half was on the very far in circle. They had it had to come out to a measurement to see who was closer, who had more of the stone in the center circle, and Italy won it by millimeters. Do they millimeters? Do they use like a protractor? No, uh, it, are, it it looks somewhat like a. You, you can Google what the instrument looks like. Okay. It, it's uh, I wouldn't say pr- more of a compass than a protractor. I wish they it was, opened. It was crazy though how close that thing was. So in uh, in Colorado they have like a recreation 
kind of where near I near where I I uh, everyone here lived in Colorado. They do. Where yeah, it's like a it's recreational. In, not in Lawrence, but it's in can't nor closer to Kansas City. Oh, that's awesome! Where you can just like rent the curling equipment and, and yeah. play and stuff. I want to do that. I want to do that very much. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you know if I was ranking the, my the favorite Red Lion sport, has their very own curling stone mm-hmm. right there at their at their bar. They don't have any of the materials to curl with. You, but you can feel yeah, it. Yeah, well, like they 42 have forty two pounds. Wow, dang. Um, I mean, some places have like the shuffleboard, which is like mini curling. But I, I want to do the full thing. I am giving you some homework. We will do this later in the week. I don't know what day. I want you to come up with your top 10 best sports at the Winter Olympics. Okay. I'll get people more excited. All right. Make a note of that. Uh, Dolphins. Like in general or just for this? No, Olympics. just for the Winter Olympics. I mean, just but just general. for... Oh. Like, uh. specifically for this Olympics or for the Winter Olympics in general? It's your list. Okay. Take it wherever you want to go. All right. Make sure you tell us, though. Uh, Dolphins have hired a new head coach, Mike McDaniel, who is the former offensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, and... I believe the 49ers will get some picks out of this. Mike McDaniel, um, I think is, you know, I, I, I don't know if this has anything to do with the Dolphins hiring him or not, but I believe he's he has um, some sort of, I don't know, he, he's not like 100% white, I should say. Um, that's been gotten trouble for this, basically saying like, oh, they're going to hire another white coach. Yeah, not so fast, Deadspin. Um, but anyway... There is a part of me that wonders if the Dolphins are like, oh, no, what did we do with the Brian Flores thing? Like, do we need to get back in the positive limelight so we can just be like, hey, but look. But I do think he is like a really good offensive coordinator. I, it, I love the the 49ers system. It's, I mean, it's, it's really similar to hiring um, somebody from the Andy Reid tree mm-hmm. in that he doesn't call plays, but he does come from... He does work for a very gifted offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan. And, and the Shanahan coaching tree has led to a lot better dividends than, like, the Bill Belichick coaching tree, for instance. It's a low bar to clear. It is, but, like, you think of some of the guys. I mean, if, if we go up to his dad, Mike Shanahan, then you get Kyle Shanahan, you get Sean McVay, you get Zach uh, Taylor, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. There's some really good coaches in there. Um but it's also hard for me not to think that, you know, because I, I thought Brian Flores was a top half of the league coach. You could have argued Brian Flores is maybe like a, there's a, there's a lot of good coaches, but maybe like a top 12 coach or something in the NFL. Are well, you be I, that? Mean, I, I've, I mean, I don't even pronounce his quarterback's name correctly. That's how highly I think of him. So, I, I yeah, I think Shanahan has, I mean, to drag that guy to a Super Bowl and an NFC championship, I, I yeah, I'm kind of impressed with him. Yeah, I, I just, we'll see if he ends up being better than Brian Flores, I guess, is my point. But how about so, I mean, this that, one? That, that roster's so hideous. The Texans are hiring Lovey Smith. Over the weekend, <laughs> it was reported they were in deep talks with him. I believe today but it's But that kind of came out of nowhere, because for the longest time, the finalists were um, McCown and Flores, right? Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, Brian Flores, I mean, he's suing the NFL, so that would be a little... little um, difficult to, to navigate, but man, he went 9-8 and eight with a god-awful roster. Houston's got a god-awful roster. Let's do it. But, and then out of nowhere, like, I, I tweeted I tweeted, like, I wow, I really think Brian Flores would be a good fit for the Texans. And two minutes later, Schefter tweets Texans now in deep talks with Lovey freaking Smith. 
He's 63 years old. He'll be 64. His so. most recent head coaching job was at the University of Illinois, and he got canned. Yes, he was not good. These were his records at Illinois: three and nine, two and ten, four and eight, six and seven, two and five. Was Didn't he, make it through the last what year. What was his best year? Did they go to the NFC Championship with him and the Bear with the Bears? Well, they went to the Super Bowl. Oh, is he that that that? Okay, yeah, he, he was with them back then. He had some success there, and back to the uh, NFC Championship game in 2010 when they lost with Jay Cutler to the Packers. And you know, his last two years, I'm actually surprised he got fired. Eight and eight, and then he went ten and six. Um, they just missed the playoffs at ten and six. That kind of stinks. But then he he got another job with Tampa Bay after Chicago, and that was a disaster. He went two and fourteen, followed by six and ten. Lovey Smith coached for the Buccaneers. Yeah, why don't I remember that? I don't either. I don't either. But he went eight and twenty four. In what the two years, years was that? Twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. Wow. I this hire makes zero sense to me. This and he's. I mean, he's got he's got a just a. I don't know. Well, it's like if you his, wanted to make a hire his, of, of somebody his, who would be a, a scapegoat. ridiculous that, beard. Yeah, that, that you could scapegoat and basically say, hey, we're basically going to tank the next two years and we need somebody just to take the losses that is fine getting a paycheck. Then why wouldn't you have just kept your last guy? Why wouldn't you have just kept David Coley? I This makes zero sense. Yeah, it was a bad... I, I, I It feels... I mean, I, I thought... I'm trying to think. Like, it, it, it just... I don't even. I can't even think of one to compare it to. I mean, you could sell. What What do you sell to your fans on this? He was good sixteen years ago when the Bears went to the Super Bowl. I mean, what What do you sell to your to your fan base? Not much. This is bad. That's that. That might be the worst NFL hire I have. I don't know. Long well, I, the thing is, I don't like. He. I don't. I don't even know how to how to put it. Like, yes, it's a terrible hire, but it's also a terrible hire in terms of, like, I guess, here's what I think. I think in their mind, they're happy about this hire because they're like, oh, man, we got a guy who won an NFC title. This is outstanding. And it's like they don't, they haven't paid attention to anything since 2010 or something. Crazy. Uh, last story, case of the Mondays. NBA trade deadline is coming up on Thursday. We got a sneak peek with the trade. Cleveland, the Cavaliers traded for Karis LeVert, who's averaging like 18 points per game. They traded away Ricky Robio, who was good for them, but he's out for the season now. They also gave up a, a lottery protected first, which they're probably not going to be in the lottery. So it'll probably end up being like, I, I don't know what happens with, you know, it'll just be like a next year's first, whatever they, they tie down to that. Two seconds. Um, the reason this is interesting, you know, I don't think the Cavs are going to win the title or anything. But the Cleveland Cavaliers have been one of the biggest surprises this season in the NBA. They're currently the four seed in the East. I mean, this is a team who was terrible for a handful of years there after LeBron left. And they are just one game back right now. One game back of the one seed you in know, the East. You know what they're kind of reminding me of? those. There's like a stretch of about three or four years for the Atlanta Hawks where they just kept popping up near the one seed line but usually more like a three or a four seed with no real superstar. But they kind of just kept popping up. And, and it was like, what the hell are the Hawks doing? See, but I think this is a little different because the Cavaliers are young. The Cavaliers, I mean, yeah. like, like Darius Garland is an all-star. He's like 21 years old, a point guard. And Evan Mobley, that dude is insane. Comes in right away as a rookie. I said this at the draft. Like, I felt like, you know, as, as great as... 
the other guys in the draft were with Kate Cunningham and Jalen Suggs. No knock against them. Like, I still think Kate Cunningham is, he, I mean, he already is, he's been fantastic and he's probably going to be a future all star and everything. I felt like we were overthinking things. You have this seven foot center who is athletic as a wing, can defend other wings and guards, gave you triple the basketball. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, Tell me why that is not the second coming he's, of Anthony Davis or Kevin Garnett. Or what, exactly. He's he's pretty to watch. I felt like we were overthinking it. That's and now the impact that he is having isn't the Cavaliers went from having one of the worst defenses in NBA history yeah. last the last couple of years to having one of the best defenses in the NBA this season. Yeah, they, so I, I I could I could very well stand corrected. They may have a budding super they like, don't have I don't think they don't have a super, they don't have a superstar at this moment. But that Atlanta team, they didn't even have a budding superstar. Yeah, and that's what I'm they saying. were a really good. Uh, they were a very talented group that achieved a lot. But you're you're absolutely right. Now that I think about it, he could very well be a budding superstar. He he can play ball. He's I mean, really, the, the really biggest, good. the only thing that could stand in his way is is dudes built like that really run into the injury bug, um, and their shelf life is quite a bit shorter. But they, yeah, they've got a fun group. The only thing, the only question you ask is if they become superstars or if he becomes a superstar, will Mobley shoot his way out of town? Always the worry in the NBA. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. That is Case of the Mondays. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, FM 1017, 1320 on your AM dial. Also, KLWN.com and the KLWN app. With Adam Trevetta, Derek Johnson, um, you know, I, I, I was kind of texting you over the weekend, and I was like, if I if I were to give you the top five in Ken Palm versus the field, what would you take? And and I started looking more into that because I was, I was generally curious if that was the right number, the right cutoff to have. And it turns out it's not because... I mean, just odds would say, like, maybe you still wouldn't take it. Maybe each year is dependent on on what you would do. But the odds would say to take it, if you looked at the last 19 national champions, 14 of the 19 were in the Ken Palm top five entering the tournament. This is not Ken Palm top five by the end yeah, of the tournament. Yeah, that's the thing. But right? what, what were they in the first week of February? I don't know. That's that's a whole other discussion. That's the difficult yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it does make it a little bit different, but, you know, if I were to give you the top five by the end of it, at the very least, the regular season in, in the conference tournaments, that would be the way to go. So let me tighten this up a little bit more. If I gave you the top three of Ken Palm right now, which currently number one is Gonzaga, number two is Arizona, and number three is Kentucky, would you take that? Or would you take the field? And by the way, I'll give you the caveat. Again, this is at the end of the regular season, so it's different than now. But of the last 19 champions, 10 were top three. So slightly over 50%. Hmm. Um, I I don't know. I would have a very difficult time with that because I will say this. The reason you would look at for taking them is because there's such a colossal drop-off at, well, actually, if you go to fourth, that's where the next big drop-off is. The first huge drop-off is between number one and number two, Gonzaga to Arizona. Um, and then the next big drop-off is number four, Houston, down to number five, Purdue. Uh, that's almost not quite two. Um, 
full point. So I that's um, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky. I mean, I told you this weekend that I think it's as far as tiers. Um, it, I think it's Gonzaga, Kentucky, and everybody else, and you added Arizona. Um, no, I, I still, I just, I think they can be got. I, I don't think they're as dominant. Like I'm thinking back um, to 2012, and I think in 2012 it was Kentucky, Syracuse, and then the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Syracuse, obviously going into the tournament, lost Fab Mello. And Kentucky won the national championship, but I I don't think the difference between Kentucky I think this Kentucky between or the difference between Kentucky Syracuse in the field that year is probably greater than Gonzaga and Kentucky. Even though Kentucky, according to Ken Palm, is third and Arizona second, I would actually say it's Gonzaga Kentucky, and then there's a bit of a shift after that. Um, although Arizona, the thing is, but but the thing about Arizona is they're just too close to that getting blown. They got trucked by UCLA. Um, and so they're too close to that. And even though they, they got a revenge win against UCLA at home, they're still only a couple weeks out of, the, of a big, big loss to UCLA. Um, so I would kind of lean toward no, but having said that, I still think this is Gonzaga or Kentucky's title to lose. Yeah. I, so I actually would take it. I, I think when you look at, if you don't take it, usually you can cut down the number of teams that whether it's the analytic test, whether it's just the can I actually see this happening test, whether it's just the who's good enough to do it, whatever way you want to view it. Typically on a given year, you could sit there and say, you know, I could see anywhere between five and ten teams winning the title. I mean, I think this year it would be probably closer to the ten. Like I could see Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky. I can't really see Houston. I can see Purdue. I can see Baylor. I can see Auburn. I can see Kansas. I can see Duke. I can see Villanova. I guess I could see UCLA. They, they went pretty far last year. They're ranked 12th on Ken Palm. So that, there's 10 teams that I could realistically see winning a title this yeah. year. But if you're taking out those top three, like Purdue's defense is 106. The, the worst defense that has ever won a title entering the NCAA tournament was Baylor last year, which was 44th, which they were like a top 20 defense till they had the COVID pause. And then they had a couple games that knocked them down. Um, But besides that, the lowest would be 37th. And so I don't know that they're going to do it. Like, it's just tough to like, are you really going to pick Baylor to win back to back titles? Right? Like, it's tough to see a program like Auburn winning one. You know, you do have Kansas Duke Villanova and those are those are good I guess counters to that, but I I just look at the way Gonzaga has pasted like everyone. I think they've won 11, 12 straight games. I mean, these these are the scores of these games. 80 to 55, 69 to 55, 95 49, 93 63, 117 83, 110 84, 115 83, 78 62, 89 55, 104 72, 92 62, 90 to 57. They are not even like remotely close to these teams. And before you say, oh, but the schedule of the WCC, yes, they're not playing great teams night in, night out. But here's the other thing. Two of those wins were against BYU. They beat BYU by 26 points. BYU is top 45 in Ken Palm. Then they just, on Saturday, won at BYU by 33 points. Again, they're top 45 in Ken Palm, which is above other Big 12 teams. And you won on the road. Um, what San was Francisco. Their, what, what was their last go? What, what, go ahead with San Francisco. San they're Francisco actually, they're actually pretty good this is year. a top 30 team. San Francisco should should be. I don't think they will. 
because of the conference they play in, but I think they should be an at-large team in yeah, the tournament. they're top 30 on Ken Palm. Gonzaga beat them by 16. And then, hey, you want to say, oh, well, who have you beaten? They beat Texas Tech on a neutral floor in that span by 14 points. It wasn't even a game. Is that their, What's their best win this season, the whole season? Um, I mean, they, they crushed UCLA. They beat UCLA by 20. They beat okay. Texas by 12. They beat Texas Tech by 14. It probably would be one of those three. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they, you know, and, and look, their Ken Palm numbers kind of prove that out, that they're already at 34, which there are a lot of national champions that don't even get to 34 by the time the tournament's done. So they're, I mean, they're really, really a, a very dominant good. team. I mean, they're they're number one in effective field goal percent. They're shooting 63% on two-point shots. 63% on two-point shots. That is number one in the country. That would be one of the highest marks of all time. Last year's was actually the highest mark of all time. They'd be right below that. But last year, as great as they were, there were, I don't know, some some deficiencies on the defensive end of the court, and they could at times get torched inside. Well, now they have Chet Holmgren, who is this seven-foot, wing basically playing the center who's getting like four blocks a game he put up like 20 10 and 5 every game right now and he has helped them to be a top five defense by two point defense so now they're scoring easier than anyone they're not giving up easy baskets pretty much as good as everyone i i kind of am having a hard time seeing how gonzaga isn't a final four team and, and you know i it's a one game sample so weird things happen I could still see Kentucky beating them. I could see Arizona beating them. I do think the title winner comes out of that group of three, though. You know who think you know who might actually be a difficult matchup for them? This is gonna sound insane, mm-hmm. but hear me out. I think they would probably be a six or eight point favorite against this team, but I think Purdue would be a difficult matchup for them because Purdue has the best offense in the country. A great offense basically is a great offense can over to overcome a great defense. Well, Purdue's the type of team that could beat anyone because their offense just goes and nuts the, in this and, specific and game. And right? as bad as Purdue's defense is, there's only so many points you can score yeah. in a game. Yeah. So it's not like okay, you have this amazing Gonzaga. This well, this great Gonzaga's number two on defense or on offense in Ken Palm. Purdue's horrible, but that doesn't mean Gonzaga's going to score a thousand points. They can still only score in the 80s or the 90s, conceivably into the 100s, but Purdue is as capable, even against a defense like Gonzaga's, Purdue is just as capable of scoring into the 80s or 90s against a Gonzaga-type defense. So that actually might be, you know, if you're looking at teams that might be difficult for Gonzaga to match up against, it would be teams, not great defensive teams, but teams that can score with them. Not necessarily teams that can keep them from scoring, but teams that can keep up with them. Well, your point to that, like Texas Tech and Texas are good defensive teams that don't don't have great offenses, and they handled them by double digit points. So I think you're probably right. You have to. Like, have a team, I, I can see them. Like Gonzaga has a bad shooting game, so it helps your defense. Yeah. And then you just have an, an unbelievable. And then you wind up game, winning right? eighty nine to eighty five. Yeah, yeah. That's that's probably a good point. It's just they're so good. They're they're so. Oh, so they're good. really really good. And you know the same thing with like Arizona and Kentucky. They are two really really good basketball teams. I really do think that one of those three is the national championship. So I would take that over the field, but it's weird because as much as right now, like Gonzaga would be my pick to win the title, and again, I would, if it wasn't them, it would be one of those other two with Arizona or Kentucky. Um, If you were to say I can only have one team, or if you were to say I can only have two of those, I still wouldn't take it. 
Because the, it's yeah, just the, it's that third that adds. Yeah. It. Well, like what, okay. Who of those? You said Gonzaga would be your top. Gonzaga pick would those be my three? pick right now. Mine would be Kentucky. Kentucky. Would be number Mine two. Mine would be Kentucky okay. for me. I think that's fair. Um, honestly, the one thing Kentucky has that going against Arizona or not Arizona, going against Gonzaga, I I do think like Gonzaga does have like talented guards. Like Andrew Nembhard is a former five star recruit. He's a veteran guard. He's a really good player. Um, they also have like Rasier Bolton again, good player was was solid at Iowa State for a few years, and you know they also have a couple four or five star guys like Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas who come off the bench or play smaller roles. So they do have talent there. But their guard play is not like elite of the elite, and I do think Kentucky might have the best backcourt in the country. So I do think Kentucky could could go to blows with you there, and you know you do have the Oscar Shibway effect inside. I would be very interested by that matchup. Um, so what would be the number for you? Because I I took the three. How many deep would you have to go where you said I'll take that versus the field? Like, would you need to go four deep? Five, I don't know. Would you have to go eight? Hold on, let me pull Ken Palm back up. I was checking uh, somebody else's. Um, I'd have to go probably. Um, I'd probably have to go five or six, but I want to name them because I wouldn't include Purdue in there. I don't think Purdue can win a national championship. But if you want me to, if you want to give me those three, and I can add Auburn, probably just Auburn. So five, so four. Interesting. See, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the well. No, if you want to give me five, and I could add add Auburn and Houston, I I I think. About See, that's that. weird for me because literally of the of the top ten in Ken Palm, the three schools that I can't see winning a title, Purdue's won because of the defense. Like you said, Purdue can beat anyone. I could see Purdue making a final. I, you're not going to win a title with the defense that's ranked 106. You're just not. Um, so unless that gets better, I can't see them winning a title, though they could be a team that beats one of the other elite teams, right? I I'm having a hard time seeing it with Auburn or Houston. With Houston, you went on that magical run last year. You didn't have to play a single, single-digit seed on your way to a Final Four. I think history has shown a lot of times when the bracket breaks one year, it does the complete opposite for you the next. It's sometimes just luck of the draw. I don't think, I mean, two of their players are like out for the season with it. I can't see it with them. Um, again, good team, could make a Sweet 16 or something, but... I don't see him winning the title. With Auburn, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the eyeball test of, like, close your eyes and envision Auburn winning the national championship. And, you know, it's it's a silly thing because I could have said the same thing about Baylor last year. I could have said the same thing about Virginia the year before that or Texas Tech, who was in the title, or two years before that, I guess. And I could have said the same thing about Florida in 2007. Like, sometimes there are weird national champions. But I don't want to be the guy who bets against the grain. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because Alabama, like, I, I I watched them a lot on Saturday. They didn't look great against Georgia. Um, they've had some weird almost losses. The Missouri game comes to mind. I just, I don't okay. love this Auburn team. So, all right. So, I'm going to, if you combine, when was this posted? Um 
So this is updated February 7th. I couldn't find one for 538, so we're going by BPI. First off, do you want to guess the top three teams uh, via BPI, not their current BPI, but their chances to win the title according to BPI, the top three teams? I'm guessing it's Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona. I don't know. Gonzaga, Houston, Villanova. Yeah, see, I'm I'm out on Houston. They're I, combined, and I, I I'm shocked Villanova's there, um, and and Houston to a point. But here's the point I'm trying to make is if you take the top five teams according to BPI, it is 32-43. Okay, you have to take the top four to get over fifty percent of one of them winning okay. the title, and that would be those those four would be Kentucky, Villanova, Houston, Gonzaga. Your three are Gonzaga, Kentucky, and Zona. I would take those three over those four. The the thing with Houston... Real quick, sorry. Let me just put this together. It's 20... It's basically 30... 37.4% chance one of those teams wins the national title. So, I mean, that's not bad. No, it's it's not. Um, the field would definitely be higher than... It's kind of shocking, though, the way that that, that that is... I'm personally not in love with BPI. I, I don't know. That's that's my and, thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree. Here's I'm, the thing I'm, with Houston. Do you know how many top 50 wins against Ken Palm they have, Adam? None. They have none. They have played two teams in the top 50. They lost both, Wisconsin and Alabama. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed I, can't, I couldn't find anything about um, – uh, I couldn't find anything from 538 on that because they're – for 538, it's not perfect, but they're better than BPI. So, I don't know. That's what, that's what I would go with. Okay, uh, real quick, last one. If I gave you a Blue Bloods one. Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, and I will add Villanova in. Would you take that five? Or would you take the field? Probably the field because I think Gonzaga is better than any of them this year. Yeah. As I just said, I, I think you have Gonzaga, Arizona available too. Yeah, um, and then I mean I would swap out now if you want to swap out for the purpose of this. If you want to swap out Gonzaga and North Carolina because North Carolina this year is struggling then I really might think about that. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com. Coming up next, NFL Monday overreactions. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Well, we didn't have a playoff game or real football over the weekend. We did have a couple exhibitions with the Senior Day, with the Pro Bowl, Super Bowl week now, Media Day was today. We still have some things to overreact about, so let's get on to another edition of our NFL Monday Overreactions. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta here. This is RCST. I'll start things off. Number one. Micah Parsons is the best overall athlete in the NFL. Now, Micah Parsons, really good rookie linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't want this to get taken out of context as in, because I'm sure everybody saw the clip where they had uh, on, I forget if it was Friday night or Saturday night, the Pro Bowl like festivities where they do the dodgeball and the skills challenges and things. And they did like a 40-yard dash sprint race featuring Micah Parsons, two other people I don't remember, and Tyree Kill. Yep. And Michael Parsons won the race. I'm not no, he is not faster than Tyreek Hill. If you watch the clip, like Tyreek Hill was jogging, he he wasn't really caring. Um, 
So no, he's not. I'm not saying he's the fastest player in the NFL. He's but pine everything. The fact that he like won that race. Uh, the other guys, I'm sure, were trying. Um, the fact that he is probably a guy who runs like a four three five. He ran a four three nine, I think, at his senior day. And now you're talking about another year of development for like a 21, 22 year old. He probably runs like a four three five forty. He is like a six foot what six two six three two hundred and sixty pound linebacker. He's that fast. He's that strong. I think he's probably the best athlete overall in the NFL. Um, yeah, there's an argument to be made there. He, and, and linebacker takes, I mean, you have to be somewhat speedy because you're going to be asked to be in coverage at some point. But then you also have to have a lot of strength. That It's, you know, that's that's not a bad one. Um, I'm going to actually bring up something similar with my first one. The Pro Bowl skills challenge is even more worthless than the game itself. Wow. Because after that, Micah Parsons even said, no, Tyreek Hill's faster than me. <laughs> and I know, like you just said, you weren't just taking that 100-meter dash mm-hmm. as evidence. And I think you would agree that if Tyreek Hill took it seriously, he would have beaten Micah Parsons. And Micah Parsons even said as much, which leads me to say that as worthless as the Pro Bowl is, the skills challenge even more worthless. See, I actually found myself more interested in the skills challenge just because with the football game, like, they don't care. It's not like, I don't know, it's not real football. With the skills challenge, at least, like, and, and to be clear, I didn't really watch either. Um, but I found myself more paying attention to like the clips on social media with the uh, the skills challenges because it was like, oh, this is a little different. Did you see the? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't watch either. Nothing. Um, but I don't know if you saw the highlights of this. They did like a, a QB accuracy challenge thing, and it was it was Kirk Cousins against I want to say it was Russell Wilson, but that could be wrong. And basically, it had this big like rectangular looking board that was i don't know a little bit bigger than like a soccer goal okay and it was it was like a flat board but there were holes or different shapes like some were big circles some were triangles some were you know just different different shape outlines and basically the quarterback had to throw it through like the different holes and you get certain points and it was the competition you had one defensive back who was like the goalie. Mm. And so, but there were certain areas where it's like, you know, if you're playing soccer, they, I think they call upper 90, right? When you hit it to like the, the yeah. corner where the 90 degree angle is. And that's just basically unstoppable. Like the goalie's yeah. not going to get to that. They had certain spots like that where it's like, if you could throw through that, like the guy's not going to get there. But Kirk Cousins put on a, about as, as poor of a show as you can imagine, <laughs> because that's what's weird. Like I, I've dogged on Kirk Cousins, and, you know, he's he's an average quarterback in the NFL. But still, I expect in those moments, you're still, even if you're an average quarterback in the NFL, you are still one of the 20 best at doing that in the entire world, yeah. hypothetically, right? So the fact that he was just, he was just like, missing, like, everything, that was actually enjoyable for me to watch, even though I didn't watch it live. Um, but, yeah, honestly, the whole week, probably we could do away with it at this point. Uh, number two, the New Orleans Saints will be the worst team in the NFC South next season. Now, this is in a division that is very bad, I think, next season. Tom Brady's retiring. Who knows what's going to happen? Like, Chris Godwin is a free agent for the Buccaneers. Who knows if some of those guys are going to start going other places now that Tom Brady's gone? Who knows even who their quarterback's going to be? I think their backup was like Blaine Gabbert. So, clearly, they're in the market for a quarterback. I don't know what's going to happen there. The Carolina Panthers were just bad. Um, the Atlanta Falcons 
They ended up with, I think, like seven wins, but like they had one of the worst point differentials in the league. It is not a good division at all, but I think the Saints are by far the worst team. They are in salary cap hell. I mean, they're <laughs> way over the cap right now. Yeah. They don't have a good quarterback situation. It's Taysom Hill. Jameis Winston was actually okay for them. He's a free agent. He might they're, not resign with the them, The Saints' right? only real hope, and this isn't even much of a hope, is, is they just get a couple second-round picks for Sean Payton going to the Cowboys next year. But that's not going to help him this as soon year. as, right? No. So And, and it won't even happen point, that Sean Payton much. Gone. Um, so they're going to have to cut some good players. He got out while the getting was good. Man. Yeah. They don't have a good quarterback. Oh, and how about this? Last night, Alvin Kamara was just arrested. That's great. Uh, Saints, worst team in the NFC South next season. All right. Um, my next overreaction, and I don't think it's an overreaction at all. I think it's a perfectly legitimate mm. take. It's over. Patrick Mahomes is broken. Mm. He threw five for ten with an interception in the Pro Bowl. Coming a pick six, too. Coming off what we saw in the AFC Championship. Trade him. Get what you can for him. The era is done. If the Chargers said we'll give you Justin Herbert and ten first-round picks for Patrick Mahomes. Probably not. Don't take it. Now, my thing about all those first-round picks. They're never going to play with each other. Exactly. It's like five. You know, the first five won't play with the last five. So, no, I... I uh, I, there's not an amount of first-round picks I would have. I mean, it would have to be like 10 with four of them in the same year yeah. for me to even think about it. <laughs> Such an interesting hypothetical. Justin Herbert won MVP, though. So, uh, I guess AFC West. I Max Crosby won the defensive MVP. Yes, AFC he did. West yep. takeover happening. Um, could you imagine like how sad that would be if Patrick Mahomes next season was just like bad? I wouldn't like, like it. Like that ruined him. I would I wouldn't like it, Derek. Yeah, that wouldn't be very Let's fun. Let's not talk about okay. it anymore. Uh number three. Team NFC needs to fire their offensive coordinator. All right. I didn't watch the game. I don't know. Usually the coaching staff is like the best you just record mad in the you division. Bet the under and I went with the over last week. No, I should be happy then because their offensive court I took the under and their offensive coordinator. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, so I, I wanted him to the do offensive. that. Uh, here, they had eight carries as a team. Team out of NFC did. Eight carries for one yard. <laughs> this is the Pro Bowl. The nobody's team, even trying to tackle. Exactly. How do you have eight carries for one yard? They had a roster with Dalvin Cook, Debo Samuel, and James Conner, and Alvin Kamara, and they got one yard on eight rushes? I mean, what are these blocking schemes? What are you teaching <laughs> your players? Fired. That's gross. Yeah. Um, my uh, next overreaction is uh, how many we're we gonna have time for today? Three or four? Three. All right, then I'm gonna go to the last one. This is my favorite one. The next Pro Bowl needs to be on the moon. <laughs> Here's why: the whole point of it being in Hawaii for all those years early on was so players could get a free trip to Hawaii, and that was when even the best players were making like five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year. So a trip to Hawaii was still a big deal. Awesome. Yeah. Now the worst got like your your you know, your 53rd man on the roster could easily afford a really, really nice trip to Hawaii. So they can certainly all afford trips to Vegas, which is where it was this year. They've had it in Orlando before. Yeah, who wants so to go there? just put it the whole. So with Hawaii, it was like, all right, a lot of these players going to Hawaii is a big deal because yeah. it's not, you know, they don't it's get a fun paid. Trip. Yeah, they don't. And then, but now it's like, well, Hawaii is not as big a deal because all these guys can not only go to Hawaii. And go to Hawaii and stay in amazing resorts. And so the next step has to be where can most NFL point. players not afford to play mm-hmm. the moon? I love it. 
I love it so much. I would. I, I'm out on the Pro Bowl right now. I would be so back in if it was on the moon. I would be so back in. Yeah. I, I do agree with you. Like you got to make this a destination for them. They, you know, the thing about Hawaii, even the Pro Bowls in Hawaii over the last whatever five, ten renditions of it, they weren't trying super hard in the game. Yeah, but you could tell they enjoyed it. I, I think. Yeah, um, and I, and I, I went I think, out there for a couple. I wonder of them. if they change it if they if they because that that stadium's a dump. Yeah, maybe so they if, need a new if Honolulu stadium. can get a new stadium. But I went out there for a couple, and it was cool. You'd see all the players. They'd be walking around, you know, outside, which I'm sure how it was in Vegas. You'd see them at all the, the casinos and stuff. Uh, funny story. I remember uh, being at the hotel as a, I don't know, I won't give the name of the player, a former running back who was on the one of the Pro Bowl rosters was checking out, and the hotel bill was $40,000. What a what party. Yeah. Can you is. imagine the poor... Poor person that had to clean that up. You think they had like a bath with like champagne or something? I don't know, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, uh, loser of the week before we end the hour here. Devin White. Devin White, really good linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Team NFC. Well, they lost the game, which sucks because you do get a bonus check if you win the game. I don't know what it is now. I think it's like $75,000 if you win. Like It's like $30,000 if you lose. Um, so you lost the game. But he had 14 tackles. Okay. 14 tackles in a Pro Bowl. The AFC team leader, if you added the AFC team leader in total tackles and the second most on the NFC in total tackles, they had a combined 14. Wow. Devin White had 14. Loser of the week. Congratulations. So Devin great, White. A great effort. For the record, great, great effort, but come up on the lose again. That's what loser of the week is. I'm reminding you guys as much as I'm reminding myself. Yeah, it's not like a loser. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, so loser <laughs> of the week is a good thing. Yes, it is a good thing. Uh, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour. No, two hours down. Just kidding. One hour to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and KLWN.com. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. We're uh, going to have KU pregame coverage starting at 6.30. KU taking on Texas at 8 o'clock here tonight on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. So we've spent all this time talking KU Baylor today. Again, we have the big Monday where we have the short turnaround, not a ton of time to overly recap everything over the weekend that was now a, we, that was a good thing last week though we, yeah we wanted to to get away from but the last Saturday week we game didn't have week. big monday that's what, what i'm what, saying i thought texas tech was a big monday wasn't it or, no that's it was an weeks. early game <laughs> tuesday that's right yeah so it was the early game Tuesday. whatever maybe that's that's a good sign when when ku has a big monday game that means they're gonna win saturday um Texas, stop me if you've heard this before, forces a lot of turnovers. Now, it is okay. a little bit down in conference-only games, but overall, when you look at the course of non-con plus conference, they are sixth in the country in forcing turnovers, 13th in forcing steals. They play good two-point defense. They play good three-point defense. They're a top-10 defense nationally. It is more of the same with another really good defense. And, and what's different about this Texas one, now they're actually not like a, a great defensive rebounding team, at least overall in the country, though in, in conference play, they've been a lot better in that regard. Um, but they don't give up transition opportunities. And okay. uh, they play really slow, so I'm imagining this is going to be an ugly, mucked-up game. Um, yeah, that, that just based on... on what you read off paper that sounds exactly right i think um and real quick i i, I goofed up it was 
Iowa State on uh, early Tuesday last week. The, the Texas Tech game was a big Monday game. It was just a few weeks ago, not last Monday. Nonetheless, um, yeah, I think I think you're you're probably right with the way that reads out. So the big question is, can KU be patient in the half court and not get you know, not not you know, if you're a team that that likes to play speedy and another team's keeping you in the mud. It, it makes you, you know, sometimes makes you impatient and makes you do foolish things. Take shots that you don't necessarily want to take. Um, you know, pl- not, you know, you feel like, oh my gosh, you know, we, we've passed half court. It's already, you know, 24 seconds left on the shot clock. You know, okay, now it's 15 and, and you know, you've rushed through so much and you're used to having, you know, shots up early in the shot clock. Um, a team that's mucking it up like that is going to prevent that, and and you need to be patient. That's going to be the name of the game. Yeah, and I, I look at a lot of KU's losses. They have been slower-paced games uh, so far this season. I mean, all three of KU's losses have been in the bottom nine of in terms of pace of play, and that's going to be the case tonight. And even some of the wins have been slower paces of play, but they've had to squeak by. I mean... Uh, again, I said they're nine slowest games. I guess technically it'd be 11 because there's two others that had the same amount of pay- pace in terms of possessions in the game. So if you look at their 11 lowest, which were all games that had under 70 possessions, um, you're looking at the losses to Dayton, Kentucky, and Texas Tech. You're looking at one-point win over Iowa State, three-point win over Oklahoma, three-point win over Kansas State, the double overtime win over Texas Tech, the kind of close win over George Mason, a 12-point win over North Texas, you know, there's not a lot on there that makes you think, and and part of it is just the fact that in a lower-possession game, you're going to have less opportunity to score more and therefore win the game by a bigger amount. But certainly for an offense that likes to get out and run and likes to play at kind of a frenetic pace a little bit, that can be a little scary. And I, I think a lot of this game, you know, Dewan Harris has been playing really, really well ever since that Texas Tech game. He's, he's played well this season overall, but I think it's, it's hit another level since the Texas Tech game when there were all those conversations mm-hmm. about should Remy be playing over Dewan Harrison. Since then, he's been nails. This feels like the game to me where, you know, if you are going to be stuck in the half court, if you are going to be more reliant on, on doing some of those little things in a lower possession game, your point guard has to be really good. And I think you have to feel good about where you're at there with Dewan Harris right now. Yeah, and his, his defense also is going to have to be big. You can't let in, in a, yeah. Marcus Carr is really good for Texas. Yeah, and in a game with with fewer possessions, you 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 can't allow yourself to get down ten or twelve points because you're just not going to have enough possessions to chisel back in it. Um, and and I I think another test and and, and another reason why Dewan is important is KU is coming off of a game where not only did they play fast and they, and in transition they did it about as well as they possibly could I mean they they that game was played as much in KU's favor as we've seen all year not just in terms of the score but in terms of the manner in which it was played um and I don't think it's a coincidence that they look so comfortable in that setting so then you turn around and immediately after one of the biggest wins not just one of the biggest wins but in a very fast-paced um you know style full court style uh you're turning around and having to play basically the complete opposite of that um and yeah I think Dewan I think the biggest thing Dewan can do is I'm not looking I think he had seven turnovers against Baylor 
I'm more looking at the turnover numbers, and and his turnover numbers have been good too. But I think in general, I I think if if Dewan Harris comes away with this from only you know with only four assists, you think okay, well, but then if you look next to that and see he's got zero or one turnovers, well, I'll take that because I just don't know that this is going to be a game offensively where anybody's going to have you know more than four or five assists. Yeah, the last two games combined, he has 15 assists to five turnovers. I mean, that'll get it done, right? Yeah, and so if tonight that that assist number is low, but that turnover number also stays low, like in the zero to one range, I'll take that. Yeah. Now, Texas is, you know, besides being a team that forces turnovers, they play good defense, which that's, that's just a Chris Beard staple. I mentioned they play slow. Uh, they're not the most aesthetically pleasing offensively, and they're just not really that great of a team offensively. Now, they do crash the glass offensively pretty well. It's not as well to the likes of, you know, Baylor and some other teams, Kentucky, the KU has played. So it's not overly much, but they do it well. This is just a team with a lot of talent, and and they've still yet to, I think, fully click. Um, But you're talking about, like, they have five guys who average between 8.5 and 11.2 points per game. There's nobody who really jumps out it's just they can all on a specific night get theirs Timmy Allen was an all-pack 12 player he comes over he's averaging 11 and six and a half Marcus Carr um, hasn't really been ultra efficient but he has shown outburst games over the course of his career when he was at Minnesota they could go for 30 every night uh, or any night Andrew Jones was an all-big 12 player Courtney Ramey was a really good guard who hits tough shots for Texas Trey Mitchell inside can really rack up points and rebounds Christian Bishop a guy that KU recruited Dylan DeSue. I mean, they have a lot of bodies, a lot of good players, a lot of talented players that makes this a difficult game. It's funny, though, because of the fact that um, this is on the road. Like, a lot of other Big 12 environments, KU goes on the road, and it's like, you know, KU's the better team, or I think they're the better team here, but you just never know. It's playing on the road. It's tough. Like, you, you go to Stillwater, and you're almost expecting a loss every year with playing at Oklahoma State with the way that's gone. But when you're playing at Texas, that's not the case. Like, this is probably the worst home court environment in the Big 12. I mean, so... I, I don't know. I, I would say this year was probably... I Well, I haven't watched a lot of Texas games. I, it'd be hard to, to get worse than, than what it was in Stillwater this year. Yeah. That's, because it, because they're sure. bad. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, But I think overall, like... It, I mean... Tickets for the game are $9. You have a top really? 25 matchup. You can get in for nine freaking dollars. I don't, it's not even going to be a sellout, you know? That like, kind of surprises me. They had their first sellout in like five, ten years or something like that on a couple weeks ago. Because when they were consistently good, it felt like when they were consistently good with Rick Barnes, they they showed out for... That really just haven't surprises. been for a while. That's crazy. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I don't view this as like a hostile environment. I think it's just you're playing a talented team and you're coming off a big win on Saturday. You're worried a little bit about a possible letdown that can occur in this game. We mentioned this earlier with KU having lost the last two to Texas. Bill Self's never lost three in a row, but it does scare me a little bit, as we talked about earlier, that you know maybe it's a Vegas knows something line. I'll say this, though. This is the end this game marks the end of this five-game stretch mm-hmm. for KU that we talked so much about, um, you know, before it started. And I, I can't remember what we settled on of what we said, you know, what would be a good stretch over these next five? I think I, we said you'd take three and two, right? I feel like it was a six-game stretch, though. It because, might have been. Because I think we started with that K-State game. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think we said four and two. So, yeah, okay. So, 
they're four and one. They're four and one. You yeah. know, so that, that doesn't mean and you want them to lose. Tonight, no, no, but, but you're playing with house money. I would agree. And on top of that, if we could have chosen, if we would have said what what would be a successful, uh, you know, stretch, and choose two mm-hmm. wins that you 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 know guaranteed wins. If we could guarantee, not wins that you thought were guaranteed wins, but if we had the power mm-hmm. to guarantee two wins of this stretch, Baylor and Tech. it would have been Tech and Baylor. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. I think they lost what we agreed before this stretch started, even though they got hammered by Kentucky. We did agree that that would be the, the easiest loss to swallow because it was a great team and a non-con. Um, again, frustrating in the way it happened, but you beat ba- you wreck Baylor at home. And you beat Texas Tech at home in, in a game where you had to show a lot of toughness to do it, um, at least late. You know, they didn't show much toughness giving up the lead, but in regaining it and winning in double overtime, that takes a lot of toughness. So yeah, I think they, you know, they're four and one. Or if you just want to look at it as a five-game stretch, they're three and one, winning the two games that you really, really thought, okay, yeah, those are the ones I want the most. I mean, yeah. you even you even texted me last week and said, would you rather go one and two? Yeah. Um, with that one win being against Baylor, or two and one, or with, two the and one yeah. with the loss against Baylor, and I, I love that we don't have to decide that anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because now KU has, you know, it, it's not like a full stranglehold. It's it's still only two games. Bill Self brought this up in the post game after the game. How um, there was a year where they started, I think, ten and zero in conference play, and they finished two and four down the stretch, and they ended up, even though they were ten and zero, they ended up with just a share. Of the league, what I don't year remember was what year that was. It would have had to been pre West Virginia TCU Big Twelve because they were they played sixteen games as opposed to eighteen. Um, so they I, finished I don't know twelve and four. About. You know what? It might have been. It might have been two thousand five. His second year here. I'll have to go back and look at that because they really that that stretch in in 05, They had they lost like three out of four. Yeah, it was 05. Okay. They started they were 20 and 1 overall, 10 and but 0 in that conference. That one loss play. was at was in Philly against Villanova. Yeah. And then they were covered after the loss in Philly and and on a Saturday night when Big Mo- or when not Big Monday when um uh game day was in town, they played Texas back when Texas was yep. great and they pounded Texas 90 to 65 That's in Allen exactly Fieldhouse. Yep. And then they really crumbled down the stretch. Yeah, double overtime loss, overtime loss to Tech and Iowa State, then lost to Oklahoma. One, two straight. Did they lose to Nebraska at one point or barely beat? Lost to Missouri. Maybe they barely beat Nebraska. Mm. But anyway, they had a a three-game losing streak that was cut when they beat uh, Oklahoma State at home. So, again, the point stands. like It's not over, obviously. I would say it's a big disappointment if they don't get it now, at least a share. Because Baylor and Tech both have three losses now. So and they still have to play each other once more. So guaranteed, one of them will have a fourth loss, and the chances of of the other one, whoever wins that game, going undefeated against this conference the rest of the way is so slim. So again, that number that we've talked about for a while, fourteen and four being the target number, right? That means KU has to go six and three the rest of the way. Yeah. And if you lose tonight, yes, it gets a little tougher because then you're saying go six and two the rest of the way. But you also got to remember, you still have Oklahoma at home, Oklahoma State at home. Um, West Kansas Virginia on the road. West Virginia hasn't been very good. It, it is a tough place to play, and KU struggled there historically. Um, but again, it's, it's not be the worst. Favored you have night. TCU twice. Like, yeah, if, they're not in a murderer's row. They still have that Baylor and stuff. But um, if you win tonight, and all those teams I just said, you just have to go five and three in that action. Yeah. I mean, if you win tonight, it almost feels like you do now have a stranglehold in the conference. Yeah, I would agree. Um, 
that would put you at what nine and one mm-hmm. with and if we agree fourteen and four gets it done, then you got you need five more wins out of what do we say Baylor or TCU twice TCU twice West Virginia on the road Oklahoma at home Oklahoma State, State at home Oklahoma State, State at home, home and K State at home Texas at home on Senior Day When's yeah. the last time KU lost on, on Senior, senior Day, day you know? Which you'd hope Yeah they don't do that this year No you hope not Um. But and that's the other thing. What tonight does is that number that we've also talked about of saying, can you go undefeated at home, go five and four on the road? Or if you happen to go eight and one at home, can you go six and three on the road? And let's see, you have Oklahoma State, you have Oklahoma, Kansas State, Iowa State. You are four and one on the road. If you win tonight, there's your fifth road win. And so far, every single year that KU has won the Big Twelve, they except for twenty eighteen, didn't they? Avenge. Well, okay, so every single year that KU has won the Big 12, if they've lost at home, they've avenged that loss on the road except for 2018 against Oklahoma State, and that was a team in Oklahoma State that KU already had wrapped up the conference by the time they went down to Stillwater in the last game of the year. And then Texas last year. But they, I'm talking about years they won the Big 12. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that would be the only one. And that year Oklahoma State wasn't a real Big 12 cont- title contender. No. And KU like already had the conference. Big 12. KU already had the conference wrapped up when they went to Stillwater to finish the season. Mm -hmm. And that year included needing a return trip to Texas Tech because Texas Tech had won in Allen Fieldhouse and and that with the Devontae Graham layup at the end. Yeah, I'm trying to find a commonality in Texas losses here. Um, Only one of them has come at home. The rest of them have come on the road. That was the, the day after the morning, really, after Thomas Robinson's mom died. She'd... That was the whole thing where they found out overnight, Friday night into Saturday. Um, that was the game that, that ended the 69-game home, 69 game home win streak. Um, yeah, it, it, oh, let's see. 08, KU lost in Austin, won the national championship. Would you take a Would you take a loss tonight if it meant a national title? <laughs> yeah, if, if you're guaranteeing <laughs> me that. But obviously not tomorrow. If they lose, we're going to be like, well, KU did That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is interesting. Uh, when you look at Texas, I would be more interested in losses to Beard more than losses to Texas. Well, no, no, I don't mean Kansas losses to Texas. I mean Texas losses this season. Oh, team. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um. So Texas has lost six times this year. Of those six, they're all in the lowest turnover the the nine lowest turnover games they've had. So in terms of their defense forcing turnovers. Okay. So another way to put that is 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Their top 14 best games at forcing turnovers, they're 14 and 0. Okay. So you, the other games, they're 3 and 6. So, right. Looks like you, you don't want to turn. Yeah. And furthermore, here here's a number. If we just want to cap it at a certain number, teams that have turned it over less than 20% of the time, so less than one out of every five times. Are four and two against Texas. Okay. I mean, if you can hold on to the basketball, but again, that's you know that's a Texas strength. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. You, you're kind of been a weakness. You're basically not giving in to their strength. It's kind of like KU. If you want to beat KU, you you know make sure they play slow. It's just harder said than done. I mean, easier said than done. Yeah, and Joe Yesifu, I think coming on against Baylor again, it wasn't like a you know a blow the stat sheet off the I don't know page kind of game for Joe Yesifu but just having that other ball handler right yeah Yeah. just having that other guy I think it mattered against Baylor 
I think it'll matter tonight against Texas. And, you know, I feel I feel kind of okay about the uh, Jayhawks coming into this game. I just am nervous for whatever reason. That weird Vegas line, the Texas is favored. All right, let's get on to our uh, Rock Chalk Pick-A-Hawk coming up on the other side. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it.